And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So if you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. I'll try to read slowly. It's a shorter than normal sermon text. I want to be sensitive uh, to being consistent. But uh, Romans chapter 5, I'll be reading verses 1 and 2. If you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles for you on the back. Um, We would be happy to give... We'd have a good problem if we started to run out of Bibles, don't you think? Um, So it is, um, in terms of the Pew Bible, it is 807. Um, Here's Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Would you pray with me? So, our Father and our God, we do stand in grace, but we also stand under your word as students, as disciples who seek to learn from you. We don't stand above it as if we know better. We don't stand beside it as in equal uh, opinion. We uh, serve you. We would ask then that you would uh, forgive the sins of the speaker for... You would um, open our eyes, that you would plant seeds that would eventually grow into something that we have not imagined yet, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, here's the interesting thing about change, right? It actually happens every single day. The thing that bothers us, though, about change is we have in our mind's eye a picture of what normal actually is or what normal means. So I want you to pause. If, I, if we were sort of sitting in a circle, I'd have you write it down or sit, put this on a piece of paper, and maybe this is an exercise for later in the afternoon. But I want you in your mind's eye right now to have what a normal day looks like. Are we there yet? Are we close? You're like, some of you have just lost control of normal already. Um, what is normal? Because when that gets disrupted, that's what really bothers us, if we're truly honest with ourselves. Change actually happens every day. We don't have control of the weather. Some of us think that it's going to be sunny, and it's not, or it's supposed to rain, and it doesn't. But what we really react to is not change per se, if we're honest, I think we react to things not going according to what we think they should be like. So good people should have good things happen to them, right? And bad people should have bad things happen to them, right? Only who decides who the good and the bad are? And then along comes the gospel and tells us that Christians are people that don't get what they deserve either. But through faith, in this grace in which we stand, we inherit everything that Jesus inherits. We get glimpses of this inheritance on this side, but the true windfall will come later. So we live by faith and not by sight. We all believe that, right? 
Yet, when unexpected change comes our way, when something happens that we didn't see coming or we didn't want to see coming or we didn't want to happen at all, it reveals that we often live more by sight than by faith. And that's simply not going to help us navigate the times that are, quote, not normal. So Cornelius Plantinga wrote a great book a few years back entitled Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And I want to quote one sentence. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Doesn't that sound great? It's not pie in the sky. It's actually a glimpse of what's to come. And we, as Christians, work towards this end. But then we turn our attention back to Romans 5, and by the time we get to 5, we've gone through Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4, correct? So Romans 1, 2, and 3 tells us about our need of the gospel. In Romans 4, then, we get this amazing illustration of Abraham living and justified by faith. So look at your Bibles in chapter 4, verse 20. We'll come back to this a little bit later, but it does introduce something that we need to remember on a daily basis. Romans chapter 4, look at verse 20. No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Continues in verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So we'll come back to particularly the latter part of this verse in a little bit. But now let's look at, and I think this outline is actually in your bulletin, but how do we navigate unexpected change and what does it look like to navigate unexpected change? We're going to look at uh, four points, unexpected change defined, Unexpected change remembered, unexpected change is coming, and unexpected change confronted. So let's look first at unexpected change defined. And just remember that change happens every single day. Let that sink in a little bit. Because we just don't like it when our plans are interrupted, right? Because our plans are good plans. Our plans are the way we think things should be, correct? Now, here's my homemade definition of unexpected change. I'm going to define it this morning as unwanted change or unexpected change is that which forces a person to make hard decisions in the context of hard times. Hard decisions in the context of hard times. Because what we would consider normal are... I would guess, and I'm assuming if you're anything like me, a normal day is relatively easy decisions in times that are going pretty well. But unexpected change forces us to make hard decisions in the context of hard times, and we all know the examples. Unexpected change or unwanted change comes in the context or in the form of job loss. Uh, maybe it's getting a new boss, maybe it's moving to a new city, maybe it's a bad health report, it's the loss of loved ones. It's just not the way we think the day should go. 
Maybe you didn't get the grade you wanted, even though you studied immensely for this exam. Maybe you clearly blew the exam off and did really well. Change, though, is something that forces us, unexpected change anyway, forces us to make hard decisions in the context of hard times. Here's the illustration. Let's go back to Romans 4. Abraham, remember back in Genesis, was told by God to go to the land of what? He had no idea. God actually said, go to the land I will show you. And now eventually it became clearer, and there was more descriptions to it, but if I showed up, I was your supervisor, and just said, I want you to relocate to another city of which I will tell you when you get there. <laughs> now, that doesn't go over well. I'm sure there would be a disagreement, but that's exactly the situation. You go to the land that I will show you. Um, that's a slight disruption. In fact, Abraham's having to leave his family, his homeland. He was not poor at the time. He did give up a few things. And then the, the story continues, right? Abraham was told that he was going to have a child. Uh, uh, the slight problem there, he was going to turn 100 soon. Uh, his wife was on the verge of turning 90. And uh, they have no children. Okay, well, we all know that then eventually they had children. So then we keep going. Abraham, now I want you to take that child that you waited a really long time for, and I want you to sacrifice that child. And Abraham, we see in verse 20, is this. No unbelief made him waver concerning what? The promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. Here's the clincher as we go into unexpected change. Do you believe that God will do what he promised? And if you do, hold on to that thought. What is revealing about that is both your idea of God and your idea of what he promised. So if God is going to get you, if he's just the law driving around in the car and flips on the lights if you go out of line, pulls you over and says, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. I told you you were not that good at that. And I told you you were going to blow it. If he's that kind of God, this isn't all that great of a verse, is it? Or if God is someone who is just distant, he spun the earth in motion, and now he, you know, it's up to you. He's just a distant deity that's really not engaged. That's different as well. But here we see, right before we get to our text this morning in Romans 5, that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that sets up Abraham for the rest of the unexpected change he faces. Are you, before you get to any change that's coming, fully convinced that God is able to do what he had promised? If not, unexpected change is not going to not only be not fun, it will actually impact the way you see both God and his promises. 
Are you with me so far? So if you haven't dealt with God and you haven't dealt with his promises, you're going to have a hard time dealing with change. And this morning I want us to at least acknowledge that if you have not dealt with who God is and you have not dealt with who his, what he has promised, when unexpected change or unwanted change comes, you are going to have to make hard decisions in the context of hard times without some really fundamental things in place. So that's unexpected change defined. My homemade definition is hard decisions in the context of hard times. We would call that stressful. <laughs> um, but unexpected change pushes us to decide both what we believe about God and what we believe he has promised. Some people believe, and it's actually taught on television and elsewhere, that God has promised you to have a smooth sailing. All you have to do is believe. He's promised health and wealth, and that's, that's categorically not true. We all know that. So unexpected change defined causes us to pause and think about who God is, what has he promised so let's get to unexpected change remembered. That gets us back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The order is important. We have been justified by faith. So who is the audience? The audience is Christians. The audience are those who believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Then, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God, not the peace of God. The distinction is important. We immediately, I think, read this because we, we all associate peace with an emotion immediately and say, well, I don't necessarily feel peace today. I don't feel like things are going smoothly. I don't feel like everything is going according to my plan. But... Look at verse 1. Therefore, let's go back. You always, when, you know, and this has been said before and so many times, it sounds almost too clever, but it's true. If there's a therefore, you have to understand what it, the therefore is there for. So let's look to the previous verse, which is, but the words that was counted to Abraham were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised for... Who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, not the peace of God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The order is important because we have peace with God before we have the peace of God. Do you understand the distinction? Are you following where we're going with this? The peace with God meaning we are no longer enemies, we are adopted sons and daughters of the living God, maybe that leads to the peace of God. For some people, you know, and you've seen this, right? If you've, anybody who's traveled, anybody have been on a turbulent flight before? I don't really like turbulent planes, but it always astounds me that I'm, I'm it always sort of shames me, to be honest with you, that I'm sitting next to someone, who, you know, the whole thing is just bouncing around and you feel like you're in a blender of some kind. And then suddenly the person next to you just doesn't, they should be bothered, but they're not bothered by it at all. And doesn't it drive you nuts? Then just shouldn't you, I mean, you're in a little 
metal tube going 200 miles an hour and suddenly everything starts bouncing and that shouldn't work that way, I don't think. And I asked the pilot one time, I'm like, does, you know, should I be worried if we go up there? He goes, oh no, you should be worried if we drop suddenly or you should be worried. He goes, it's just like a boat. I'm like, I don't want it to be like a boat. I want to, I'm in the air. But it's unexpected. And they even tell you before the flight takes off, we will encounter some unexpected things. So therefore what? Wear your seatbelt. But the order is important in our verse. It's not talking about a seatbelt. It's talking about something that actually happens before any of the change is coming. We are no longer enemies of God. We have peace then with God. It would be a very different verse if we said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we feel the peace of God all the time. It's just not what it says. It says we have the peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the door through which we go. And then at some times, because of that, we may indeed feel the peace of God. Now, this comes even before we get to Romans 8. Don't forget what happens at the end of Romans 8. We think that, oh, if we don't have the peace of God, um, will we lose this peace with God? No, look at the end of Romans 8, if you turn there really quickly. If I'm going to go um, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? So this is not going to change. Once you have peace with God, that isn't going to change. Who will bring any charge against you? It is God who justifies, right? Who is going to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, turbulent airlines, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now turn back to Romans 5. Here's where it gets exciting. This all starts in verse 1, which says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that never changes. So the first way we're going to deal with unexpected change is to first understand what will never change. What is actually going to be true north? What will actually, when the thing rattles and with life storms come, what is already anchored down? What is already anchored down is that you are walking with God if you are trusting in who Christ is, and that, because of what God has done, will never change. Do you believe this? That's directly linked to the promise. Remember, for I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Nothing will separate you from the love of God through Jesus. If you do not believe this, when unexpected change comes, you will doubt what? His presence and his love. Does he care? The disciples asked him that. So if this is true, if he never leaves us nor forsakes us, and we walk with God, and nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, 
Why do we hang on to the negative for so long? Right? I could sit down and I could tell you 30 great things about you. If I sat down face to face with you, I think I could tell you all these amazing things that God has said about you. And if we get to know each other, I can point out the great things about you. But if I said one thing like, hey, that outfit doesn't match. You'd walk away remembering what? What's wrong with us? You would remember my comment about your outfit not matching, and who really cares? And cosmically speaking, if nothing separates you from the love of God, if Jesus is walking with you 24-7, what do I care? What do you care about someone else's opinion about that? But we do. Because if you went back to that picture of normal that you have in your mind, normal means something different than what we've already read. So what are you actually in control of? Think about that for a second. Now that you have your normal picture in your head, out of that normal picture in your head, what if that normal picture are you in control of? Well, you said, well, I'm in control a lot. I'm an American. We have choices. So I'm in control of my attitude, right? Yes, you are. Oh, I'm in control of my calendar. That's true. You can set aside time for priorities. You're supposed to be wise with your time. I'm in control of resources given to me. I can be a steward. True. You are supposed to make wise decisions with your resources. You don't know how many resources you're going to have, so you get to make wise decisions if you have a little, or you have to make wise decisions if you have a lot, but sure, I'll give you that. In other words, making good decisions with a good attitude is the short list, and I'm struggling when we get beyond that of what we're actually in control of. But because we're all flawed people, we don't always make good decisions and we don't always have good attitudes. It's important, though, to spend time reading our Bibles, yes. Spending time with wise people, yes. Spending time meditation and prayer, yes. But why? Well, that's the third point. Because unexpected change is coming. Look at Romans 5, 3 to 4. Not only that, if we get... on the, um, just right on the heels of verse 2, which tells us about this amazing grace in which we now stand, verse 3 tells us that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. It is, I find it rather remarkable that to be reminded of our justification and to be reminded of the grace in which we now stand comes directly before we're reminded that suffering will also come our way. And I think this is a very gracious thing for God to do in this particular portion of Scripture. We've already learned in Romans 1 that some people suppress the truth, and we get to Romans 3, and we all have gone astray. And here we are saying, now that we have stand in the grace of God, why is that? important to to let sort of sink in it's because suffering is coming y'all unexpected change is not fun it's okay to say that and some things happen to us that are not good and that's okay to say that 
But look at what verse 3 says. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Why do we need endurance? Because we live day to day. You're not in control of much. Uh, and endurance produces character. Why do we need character? Anybody picked up the newspaper? Anybody see some of the issues around our culture? Um, we could use a little bit more of character or people of character. Character produces hope. And then look at verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Take that with you when you wake up in the morning. Because you all pour probably milk or juice or water into a glass, right? You may have already done that this morning. Now, next time you take that glass out of the cupboard, you put it on the counter, I want you to say, think through this verse a little bit where you're actually, what, what has God done? God has actually poured into your heart, that glass is your heart now, what? His love has been poured into your heart. And I'm telling you, drink it. And could you please drink that thing every morning? Here's what happens. We'll take the glass out, our heart, we'll pour God's love into it, and then we leave it on the counter and saying, I believe that. That's true. Whereas verse 5 is telling us, no, internalize that. Gulp that down as much as you can, morning, noon, and night. Because unexpected change is coming. And I want to pause and make three observations really quick. Number one, the gospel of grace allows us to navigate unexpected change that we remember, verse one. Number two, the gospel of grace allows us to navigate unexpected change today, right now, verse two. We stand in grace right now. And thirdly, the gospel of grace allows us to navigate unexpected change that is coming in the future. You get, you get the point, right? Past, present, Future. No matter where you are and who you are, you have to deal with the unexpected that haunts you. Why do some things stick with you and not others? You have to deal with the unexpected that stresses you in the moment, right now, right today. And you have to deal with the unexpected that frightens you, that's in the future. You're not, a, you're not afraid of the present. You're afraid of what may actually happen. So it matters then that you are standing in grace, not your own works, and that you have been reconciled, no longer in opposition to God, because unexpected change will seek to tempt you to work really, really hard now. You've got to figure this out. You've been thrown for a loop. You've got, it just sort of, the ground has shifted a little bit. And so you, we immediately go, well, I've got to figure this out. We've got to um, maybe take some things into our own hands. He says, instead of standing on your own work, we stand in grace. And unexpected change will tempt you to think that God is not capable of keeping his promises or that God may actually not care. When the storms came to the disciples, sort of mentioned this earlier, but think about this, they're fishermen. It isn't like they haven't been in the sea before and probably haven't They've been in choppy waters before, too. But when they wake up Jesus, who's asleep in the boat, the first thing they say is, don't you care? Well, of course he does. 
but it was unexpected and they were thrown off. And I'm asking you, what's throwing you off this morning? And it brings us back to this point. We really, 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 really like our own plans, don't we? And it doesn't mean that you're completely self-absorbed or selfish. It just means we haven't plumbed the depths of God's plans as much as we plumb the depths of our own. Is that fair? Now, I don't know what God has planned for you tonight or tomorrow. I have absolutely no idea. But I know that he will keep his promise, and I know that nothing will separate you from the love of God. Which leads us to our final point. Unexpected change then confronted. So if this is the case, if unexpected change is defined as making hard decisions during hard times, as unexpected change is stuff that we remember, if unexpected change is coming, so let's be a little practical, how do we confront unexpected change? Uh, I'm going to suggest three ways. Number one, we confront unexpected change through the means of grace. Why do we take these so for granted? <laughs> we just prayed for friends in the Middle East. We have, um, if you have forgotten your Bible on a trip and you don't miss it, that should tell you something. Um, if you... Uh, don't take advantage of the amazing amount of Christian literature that this country has. I've been fortunate enough to travel a lot, and there's some countries you can't find a church, period. There's buildings, no one in them, and even the buildings don't have Bibles in them anymore. Or if they have Bibles, they may not actually be preaching, but the means of grace are no small thing. Things like Bible reading, prayer, devotionals, Small groups, reading the Bible with other people, reading Christian books, listening now to Christian podcasts, audio books, all of us, all of these things are means of grace that prepare us for the things we don't see coming. The problem is we sort of take them for granted and we use them as what? Reactions or tools are almost like medicine for the ailments, like instead of change being a part of life and so we're so shocked when things don't go our way and then we actually use these not as means of grace but coping mechanisms and, and that's not what they are at all they're means of grace so we first confront unexpected change through means of grace secondly we confront unexpected change through the message of grace some people call this preaching the gospel to yourself but look back at our text verse 2 through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I don't want to gloss over this. I don't want you to miss it. Those who do not believe do not stand in grace. They do not. And we rejoice then in the hope of the glory of God. So by faith, you stand in something we call amazing grace. And that should be both really, really humbling and really, really exciting. And so you confront unexpected change through the message of grace. You preach the gospel back to yourself. Remind yourself often that, as we said in the service, you're not your own. Remind others that they have too. And we saw this in First Peter, the scripture that we read earlier. 
Um, let me just remind you from what Peter has said. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So it's not a dead hope. It's not just truth. It's not just platitudes. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And where is it kept? Safe deposit box, right? And God has the key. No, it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's not a long-distance relationship, folks. That's not what we're trying to say here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Why? Because he sees you, speaks with you, and remember, he has poured his love into your heart. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter continues, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ is in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Why? Because they already knew unexpected change was coming. And they wanted to remind us about the grace that is proclaimed to us. So we confront unexpected change through the message of grace, and finally we confront unexpected change through the manner of grace. It is true that if, even if you don't feel like doing certain things, the more you do them, the more they become a habit. And the feelings typically follow the actions. Is that fair? You sort of know that. You know, some of you know you sort of have to clean the house. Some of you know you have to do dishes. Some of you know you're going to have to cut the grass, do other things, and you don't necessarily feel like it, but you're sort of glad in the middle of it when you look and you're going, I'm almost done, and it feels way better once you're almost done. It didn't feel at all good when you looked at the pile in the sink, but it felt a lot better the closer you got to being finished. What it's saying, basically, and we do this all the time to ourselves, is that the feelings actually follow the actions. Which gets us back again to our text. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. The peace of God will follow the peace with God. The feeling will follow the action. We confront then unexpected change through the manner of grace, which tells us that we are going to love our enemies. How are we going to do that? Um, the feeling is going to follow the action. We visit the imprisoned. We adopt the, uh, we're going to adopt the orphan. We're going to extend grace in the midst of unexpected change because grace is what we have always needed as well. And it's grace that will change this world for the better. It's grace that's changed you. It's grace that will make anything change for the better. So when it's unexpected or unwanted, we want to re be reminded then of the means of grace, the message of grace, and the manner of grace. So after the Paris bombings 
of November 13th of last year and the Brussels airport attack in, the Mar in March of this year, I heard from several parents and I also read various articles asking the same question over and over again. What can you do to guarantee my safety or my loved one's safety if we travel to Brussels or Paris now? And then one particular conversation that I had with a parent, it went something like this. Actually, these are direct quotes, but I will try to refrain from naming who the parent is. What can you do to guarantee that my son or daughter will be safe if they travel to Paris or Brussels? So I asked these two questions. Is your daughter in the United States right now? Yes. I know exactly where she is. She's at the University of Illinois. She lives on campus or near campus. So right now, do you know where she is right now? Can you tell me with certainty that she is safe as we speak? Long pause at the end of the, end of the line. Well, yes, because she's in the US. What's normal for this person? You, you know already where this goes. Normal for this person is very clearly defined. And I think it is for you too. So let me ask you a follow-up question. Can I guarantee that nothing bad will happen to you today? No. Maybe a follow-up question in a similar vein then will be to me to ask, as I ask the parent, let me turn it, do you know though whose you are and where you are? Are you standing in grace? Or are you trying to do this on your own? If you are trying to do this on your own, then when an unexpected change comes, it in fact will be difficult. You will face suffering in this world. You will face hard times. You are going to have to make decisions you're not going to want to make. But our text says that if you are standing in grace, trusting in grace, taking advantage of the means of grace, preaching the message of grace to yourself, then you are ready, believe it or not, for whatever it is that comes your way. Because nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And God will never break a promise that he has made to you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we uh, ask that you would teach us what this means. We are roughly, um, if we're honest to ourselves, a little bit addicted to what we like. We really do think the world should go our way. And sometimes it just reveals that we're on a different page than you are. And uh, our Father, we do ask that if uh, for those of us who are here that are still asking questions, that they would do what the prophets did and inquire and search carefully. But they would inquire and search in your word, or they would inquire and search in, in search of truth, but not just feelings. And that you would then reveal yourself to you those who search and inquire carefully. We do pray for our own hearts because we do not know what tonight will bring. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We just know that you will walk with us every step of the way. 
teach us again that this is actually true. Help our unbelief. Lord, we do, we do love you. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.